Living Hope is a church striving to become a 21st century apostolic church. We are founded upon the belief that the Bible is the inspired, infallible Word of God. We believe in the Great Commission, and we are endeavoring to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with love, mercy, and truth. Listen in as we share the Word, and that, through Jesus Christ, hope is alive. First Samuel chapter number 13, beginning in verse number 19. The Bible records that there was no smith found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make them swords or spears. But all the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen every man his share and his culture and his axe and his mattock. Yet they had a file for the mattocks and for the cultures and for the forks and for the axes and for the to sharpen the goads. They, they had the equipment to do them, but, but they became reliant on someone else to do it for them. So it came to pass in the day of battle because, amen, how many of you know the devil's not in a hurry? Amen. Some of you say, well, I've gotten by with it this far, so I must be, it's okay, but the devil is not in a hurry. The devil understands the principle of sowing and reaping, just like the Bible declares that. The devil also understands that. And he will wait generations if that's what it takes. So he began by making it more convenient for Israel that rather than you training blacksmiths and people to do it for you, why don't you just come down here and let us do it for you? So over time, now there are no smiths. They don't know how to do it for themselves. So here is the fallout. The Bible says it came to pass in the day of battle. They didn't have a sword. They didn't have a spear. There wasn't any sword or spear found in the hand of any of the people that were with Saul and Jonathan. But with Saul and with Jonathan, his son, was there found. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 6. And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come. Let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised, and it may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. That same passage of Scripture from the New Living Translation says this, Let us go across to the outpost of those pagans. Jonathan said unto his armor bearer, Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. I want you to say that today. Nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. With the help of the Holy Ghost, I would like to preach this morning for just an hour or two. Cue awkward laughter. For just a little while this morning, the two swords of Israel. Amen. The Lord bless you. You can be seated. I know some of you are waiting for the repeat of that title because if you're an anointed preacher, you have to say the title twice. The Two Swords of Israel. When you look even within the last few centuries of history at men and women whose courageous actions shaped some of the most transformative inventions and movements, they all had one thing in common, and that is that they took action without a guarantee. Amen. They took action 
without a guarantee. I'm brought back to Wednesday night in service when by faith, Brother James said, today is my day to be baptized in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. James, I heard you receive the Holy Ghost. Come on. Amen. Amen. That's what happens when you take action without a guarantee. I don't know what's going to happen. I just know that I'm going to take action without a guarantee. On the morning of December the 17th, 2003, as Orville Wright climbed in the cockpit of that gasoline-powered biplane, eased back on the throttle, he did so without guarantees. Yes, the Wright brothers had done their homework. They figured the mathematic equations. They calculated and quantified what was necessary for flight, but there was no precedent for them to point to. They had no guarantee. There was... I don't know about you, but the day if somebody were to say to me, hey, do you want to go 300 feet into the air, 1,000 feet in the air? I don't know if it's going to work or not. We may crash. Uh, amen. But, but, but before I get on that airplane, I want to know. Amen. It wasn't long ago they came out with that, the, the news that a certain airplane had been uh, grounded because there had been two crashes. And I forget the mega plane or mega bus or whatever it was called. And so the, the, the next day, as a matter of fact, I was getting on a flight and it was on, that went on and looked at my ticket and it said, you're flying on one of those airplanes. And I said, the devil is a lie. Everybody else may be flying on one of them planes, but I'm not flying on one of those planes. Thankfully, they came out before I got on my flight and they switched it out for a different airplane. But uh, on that day, Orville Wright, when he got in the cockpit of that plane and pulled back on the throttle and that plane began to rise, he had no guarantee and literally, he was flying on a wing in a prayer. The journal of the famed voyager, Christopher Columbus, records on the day, on the morning of October the 10th, there was trouble aboard the Santa Maria. 68 days they had been at sea. Their rations were running low. Tempers are running high. The crew is threatening mutiny. And so in order to keep the crew from taking the ship and tossing him overboard, Columbus steps to the bow of the boat and offers a bargain. The bargain is simply this. We will sail for two more days. And if still we have not found land, we will turn back. With the crew turning against him, supplies running low and tempers running high, Columbus sailed on. No guarantee, no guarantee of land. No guarantee that they wouldn't sail right off the edge of the earth. And yet Columbus sailed on. August the 28th, 1963, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. moved toward the steps of the Abraham Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. And on that day, he had no guarantees. He would share a dream that in its moment sounded unlikely and certainly a dream that was unpopular. A dream that a nation that was currently segregated, that one day, Dr. King declared, that one day, living in this nation, my four daughters, he said, will be able, my four children, he said, will be able to be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Character. He had no guarantee, yet he stepped to the platform and he spoke on and he led a movement on. 
and whether it be the Wright brothers taking flight in a plane, Columbus sailing forward on a ship, or Dr. King leading forward a civil rights movement, not one of these men had a guarantee, but each of them possessed within their spirit a perhaps. I don't know how it's all going to work out, but I'm moving forward on a perhaps. It just may work out that if somebody dreams a dream, a nation will grow beyond segregation and separation. This morning for just a few minutes, I want to preach to you about going when there is no guarantee, about proceeding when there is no promise, and about taking action when you have no assurance. The need that I am here to stir us to this morning is to realize that the hour that we live in calls for those that will go without a guarantee, that we will proceed when all that we have is a perhaps. In 1 Samuel chapter 14, we are introduced to a dismal and a dreary development. The conclusion of 1 Samuel chapter 13 lets us know that the Philistines, through careful calculation and patience, had rendered the armies of Israel without weapons. Raiding parties, the Bible would tell us, are invading. They're pillaging and they are plundering. They're looting and littering. They're robbing and they are wrecking. And there is not one thing that the Israelites can do to stop them. Why? Because throughout all the land of Israel, there are only two swords. One sword is in the hand of Saul, and the other sword is in the hand of his son, Jonathan. And so I began to put myself, if I could, into the shoes of Saul. And I asked myself, what do you do when you're a king of a nation that is being invaded by the enemy, and all you have are two swords? Well, I believe this morning as I preach that the actions of Saul, the one sword, and the action of Jonathan, the second sword, reveal two different mindsets and two different opinions and options that we have when the enemy is invading and we feel unequipped. And you would agree that two swords is asking a lot to defeat an entire enemy that is invading. Feeling ill-equipped, and I don't know about you, but many times when God calls me to go into a new territory and God calls me to step into another dimension of faith, I look at my tool belt, if you would. I I look at my weaponry and I come to the conclusion, God, I'm ill-equipped for the challenge at hand. I don't have everything that is necessary to take this church to the next level. I don't have what is necessary to move this church forward. Many times are the thoughts that I battle. And I think if we surveyed the crowd today, many of you would look at yourself and say, I don't have what it takes. So the two swords, the sword of Saul, the sword of Jonathan represent two outlooks and two attitudes, two reactions and two responses to the opposition when we feel ill-equipped. All right, everybody in the building today, I believe in what I'm going to preach today. It represents how you respond when you're faced with an opportunity to move forward, with a calling to defeat an adversary, and yet you feel Ill-equipped. How many of you ever feel ill-equipped? Even last week we shared a vision of reaching this community. And how many of you just being honest say I don't feel equipped? Even this week I walked into a restaurant 
to buy somebody's meal and I felt ill-equipped. Even in that moment, God, they're going to reject me. I don't know. That's not even common sense. I'll, I'll let anybody buy me a meal. I don't care if your motives are good or not. We, we, can, we can hash all that out later. Amen. If you want to buy me a meal, I'm all right with that. And, and, but, but, but in the moment, I know it was the voice of the enemy. He was just showing me or telling me that I was not equipped. Two sorts, two reactions, two opinions and two options when we feel ill-equipped. The first sword, the first attitude, the first outlook that we find represented in the sword of Saul. Saul was what I would call a shady character. Literally. Multiple times in the scripture, the Bible pointedly records Saul hanging out under a tree. Shady. Anyway, some of you will get that later. My wife right now, I'm not even looking, but I know what she's doing. She is shaking her head at my, my brilliance is what I like to call it. Corniness is what she calls it. First Samuel 22 and 6, Saul is pursuing David. He stands under a tree, the Bible says, in Ramah and delivers one of history's most uninspiring speeches. His speech was everything that Dr. King's speech was not. If you take Dr. King's speech and you compare Saul's speech, they are at opposite ends of inspiring. Instead of standing up and saying, I have a dream, the speech of Saul could be summarized as, I have a pity party. Here is just one excerpt from his uninspiring speech. Here's what he said. No one discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. Literally, the Bible says that Saul said, there is none of you that feels sorry for me. Nobody feels sorry for me. Can you imagine Dr. King stepping to the steps under the shadow of Abraham Lincoln and saying, I need you to follow. I need somebody to feel sorry. That's not what he said. He said, I have a dream. I have a dream that things are going to get better. Amen. And so Saul hides under the shadow of a tree. Here in 1 Samuel chapter 13, as the Philistines are invading the nation, pillaging and plundering, looting and destroying Saul the king, one of only two men in the entire kingdom with a sword, the Bible says he finds a hiding spot under a pomegranate tree. This was a time to get up, not to sit down. This was a time that called for leaders to respond, not to relax. This was a time to get on your feet, not to kick back in your seat. Amen. The people are looking to Saul for leadership as one of the only two armed men in Israel. And yet Saul is hiding. He is parked on his posterior under a pomegranate tree. The Bible would tell us he's got the ark and the priest with him, but he's hiding under a tree. Now, there are times, I would say today, where we hide behind a mask of spirituality. That's what Saul was doing. He said, I've got the ark with me, and I've got the priest with me. I've got the representation of Old Testament prayer with me. I'm seeking God for what to do in this situation. And there are times that good people of God, we hide behind a mask of spirituality. When the answer is not that you need to pray about it, the answer is you need to take action. The answer is not I need to stop and pray about it. The answer is you need to do what God has already told you to do but we put on the mask um, I just want to be spiritual here these are the same folks that mask gossip as prayer requests 
that disguise criticism as concern. Amen. I'm just concerned about the pastor. I'm concerned about some of the decisions that he's making. I'm concerned about the direction. Hey, that's call it what it is. That is criticism. If you were really concerned, you'd ask pastor if you could meet with him one-on-one and you'd talk to him behind closed doors rather than spreading dissension throughout the church. And if I'm hitting something, I have no idea. Amen. I got a witness of the gray towel. I'm not discouraging prayer, but there comes a time when we have got to make up our mind. I'm going to be a man of action. I'm going to be a woman of action. Amen. There is a time for prayer, but there's also a time to say it's time to take action. We act like we're praying about something that we don't even need to pray about. We know what the plan and the will of God is. It is clearly demonstrated in his word. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 15 tells us that the very reason that Saul, that Samuel anointed Saul, the Bible says this, Samuel anoints Saul for this reason, that he may save the people out of the hand of the Philistines. That was the purpose for Saul ever being anointed king in the first place. And now here he is with the Philistines invading. He is positioned for the very purpose that God placed upon his life. And instead of acting, he goes under a pomegranate tree and tries to pray about it. He doesn't lack anointing. He didn't lack purpose. He didn't lack direction. Amen. What he lacked was courage. Amen. Amen. Today is not the day for us to hide behind spirituality and say, I need to pray about it. No, what we need is a baptism of courage. We want to pray and ask God if it's his will that we pray. That is pomegranate tree living. If I could say it this way, that is shady. Well, I need to pray about whether or not I should get married or continue fornicating. That's shady. You don't need to pray about it. The Bible clearly explains what you need to do. No need to have a prayer meeting. Just do what you need to do. Well, I know that I'm supposed to be leading my family as the high priest of my home, but I need to pray about whether or not I should make my children come to church or not. Let me identify for you what you lack is not a prayer meeting. What you lack is courage. Well, you can sit there and stare at me if you want to, but I'm going to preach anyhow. That is shady. Well, I know I'm supposed to forgive that person that really hurt me. But before I forgive, I need to spend time in prayer and ask God if he really wants me to forgive that person. That is shady. Well, I know Pastor preached a vision last week about evangelism. He wants us all to get involved in evangelism. But I need to really spend some time in prayer because I'm not really sure if I can participate or not. Let me tell you what that is. That is Thank you. All right, about 15% of the church is helping me right now. I'm going to keep going until I got all of you. 
I know the Bible says that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but I need to pray and really consult God about how committed I want to get to the church. Let me tell you what that is. That is... Thank you. Amen. I know the Bible says that we should give praise to the Lord and praise looks good on me. And I need to put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. But I think I need to spend time in prayer and ask God if he really wants that from me. Let me tell you what that is. That is. You don't need to get under a pomegranate tree and ask God if it's his will or not. You need to take action. The hour that we live in, we need men and women of God that will take action. Our city needs a church that will take action in evangelism. Let me save you some pointless prayer meetings. I'm not against prayer. Okay, if you, if you wonder, I, I decided I had a lot of different, different stuff in here and I decided to take it out. Because sometimes as a preacher, you feel like you got to explain everything you say. And I decided I'm not doing it today. All right. I'm not, I, I believe in prayer. You know, if you're around here long enough, I believe in prayer. But some of you, the Bible says you don't get anything because you ask amiss. You're praying about things you don't need to be praying about. Let me just save you some time. If it's in the word of God, you don't need to pray about it. If it's a commandment in the word of God, you don't need to pray about it. If God called you to praise, you don't need to pray about it. If God told you to worship, you don't need to pray about it. Stop hiding under a pomegranate tree and take action. Sometimes what we need is not a prayer meeting. What we need is a dare meeting. Amen. I'm going to stop praying about it and I'm going to start being courageous about it. The reason I'm not evangelizing isn't because whether or not it's the will of God, it's because I'm not courageous. Come on, give the Lord praise right now. Listen, if you are a part of this church right now and you're still praying about whether to get on board with the vision, let me tell you, save your prayer meeting right now. If you're a part of this church, you need to get involved. I'm coming out from under the pomegranate tree. I'm going to stop praying about things that I already know are the will of God. Literally, there are people that you spend time praying about whether or not it's the will of God for you to pray. And yes, that's as silly as it sounds. I'm going to do. I'm going to be a man of action. I've got one of only two swords in all of Israel. People are looking to me for leadership. I've got the Holy Ghost. I'm in the less than 1% of this city that has got the Holy Ghost. People are looking to this church for leadership. And if we're not careful, we're parked under a pomegranate tree asking God whether or not it's his will that we have Holy Ghost services, that we have miracle signs and wonders, that we have powerful praise and worship. We just need to make up in our mind today we're going to have a move of God every time we come together come on get out from underneath that pomegranate tree and be a part of what God is doing 
Somebody get that sword in your hand. The Bible called it the sword of the spirit. Living hope. We've got one of the only swords in this community. And it's time to stop hiding under a pomegranate tree and do something. I want everybody right now to give God praise if you would. Could you do that? Come on, let's have a dare meeting this morning. We prayed, we prayed, we prayed. Now on Sunday morning, let's have a dare meeting. What will you dare do for the kingdom of God? What will you dare do with the sword you've got in your hand? Hallelujah. I pray God blesses the heavy's business and that through that business they're able to reach people throughout this city. Junior, I'm praying God blesses you with that promotion that they're praying about. I pray God blesses you and through that promotion you're able to reach people throughout this community. I wonder right now, what would you dare do for the kingdom of God? What would you dare do if God wanted to give you a promotion? Would you use it for the kingdom of God? Saul lived under a tree and made a living out of other people fighting his battles. See, they're synonymous. Amen. When you're the kind of guy who lives under a tree... Pretending to have a prayer meeting, but it's really because you don't have the courage to face the enemy. You're also the same kind of guy who relies on other people to fight your battles. When it's time to fight Goliath, according to protocol, the man that should have been on the battlefield was Saul, the king. He should have been the man putting on the armor and facing Goliath. Instead, he lets an untrained shepherd boy, and I thank God for David and what he did, but it should have been Saul that did it, and he let an untrained shepherd boy take his place. In 1 Samuel 15, when he had commanded that the, uh, the, the, uh, to utterly destroy the Amalekites, God told him, destroy the Amalekites. He won't do it. Instead, he lets the prophet Samuel do the killing for him. 1 Samuel 22, he decides to kill the priests at Nob because they provided asylum and bread for David in his time of refuge. And the Bible says that Saul decides I'm going to kill all the priests, but he doesn't do it himself. First, he calls on his foot soldiers, and they say, Saul, we're not doing this for you. And so he instead, he equips Doeg to do it, and Doeg does his killing for him. Let me tell you today, I don't need you to do praise for me. I don't need you to praise the Lord for me. I don't need you to pray on my behalf I don't need you to worship on my behalf I'm going to do it all by myself I know how to get a breakthrough in worship I know how to get a breakthrough in praise you've got one of the only swords in Israel get out from under the pomegranate tree and fight the enemy clap your hands to the Lord I got parents that'll that'll worship for me. Amen. I got I got grandparents that'll worship for me. Amen. I got a pastor that's praying. I don't have to pray because I got a pastor that's praying. That is Saul thinking. That's pomegranate living. That's shady living, if you ask me. Amen. If you've got a battle to fight, why don't you get the sword in your hand and fight the enemy on your own?
even, even at the very end of his life, Saul is wounded in battle. He decides instead of being taken captive, I'm going to take my own life. But he doesn't do that. He commands his armor bearer. He says, here, you take my sword and you run it through me. Ultimately, the armor bearer says, I'm not doing it. And Saul does have to take his own life. But it is a principle of shady living uh, that I want somebody else to do the fight for me. Uh, Amen. Pastor, I still want the blessing. uh, But I want to show up to church whenever I want to come. Don't expect me to be there every Sunday. Oh, yes, I want the blessing uh, of being in the house of God, uh, but not the expectation of actually being there. Shady living. Shady living, living hope. We've got one of only two swords. We've got, we're in the low percentage in this city. If you're a tongue talker filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you are in the ultra minority in this city. And the last thing we need you to do is hide under the pomegranate tree and let the politicians fight our battle. I don't need politicians to fight the battle for me. Praise and worship is my weapon. But there is a second sword in Israel. This sword is in the hand of the son of Saul, Jonathan. Jonathan may have had his father's DNA, but he had David's spirit. 1 Samuel 18 and 1 says that the soul of Jonathan was knit with David. They were intermingled together. They were one and the same. If you saw Jonathan, you saw David. And if you saw David, you saw Jonathan. Their spirits were knit together. Verse number 4 of 1 Samuel 14 tells us everything we need to know about Jonathan. When the Bible says, while daddy's hiding under a pomegranate tree, pretending to be having a prayer meeting, Jonathan sought to go over unto the garrison. Jonathan is saying, I just can't wait for an opportunity. I just can't wait for a chance to go over and show the enemy how mighty my God is. I just can't wait to get over there and see God give me the victory. I just can't wait until church on Sunday morning. I just can't wait until the praise team starts singing. It's another opportunity. I can't wait for the preacher to start preaching. I can't wait for the altar call to be called. I'm just waiting on an opportunity. Jonathan, daddy's hiding under a pomegranate tree with one sword, resting it in the sheath as he pretends to be praying about what to do. While Jonathan is chomping at the bit, God, just give me the signal. Lord, just give me, I don't even need a green light. Just give me a yellow light. Just give me some little sign, and I'll be over there showing those uncircumcised Philistines who the real God is. Just give me an opportunity to declare the goodness of the Lord. Just give me an opportunity to show forth the praises of him who called me out of darkness.
Jonathan knew what his position and purpose in Israel was. He knew that it was his destiny to deliver Israel from the Philistines. He knew that what Israel needs right now is leadership. What Israel needs right now is not another prayer meeting, but they need action. Amen. What is needed right now is not a prayer meeting about whether to have a prayer meeting, about praying about prayer. What this nation needs is one of the only two people that have a sword to stand up and do something with it. I pray today that God would give this church a baptism of courage. You've got a sword in your hand. Use it. Well, pastor, I'm not really the worshiping. The devil is a, get out from under the pomegranate tree and just say, God, if you'll give me an opportunity, I will bless you. Pastor, do you really feel like we should tell our children to come to ch- if they live in your home and you pay the electric bill? Absolutely. Well, they're going to get bitter and not come. They ain't coming anyhow. We were called to be the leaders of our families, the high priests of our home. Don't pray, God, is it really your will that my children be saved? Let me save you a prayer meeting. It is the will of God. Now, I know some of you just shut your hearing aids off and turn me down. Do whatever you want to do. But I'm preaching under the authority of the word of God right now. And I'm declaring what this church needs is authority. What we need is courage. Just give me an opportunity. Just give me an opportunity. I'm just waiting, God, you say the word. It's like one of them horses behind the gates at one of them big races, and the horses are fighting. As soon as that gate lets down, the horse is already going. There's just a wall holding him back. But as soon as that wall comes back, he's out of the gate. And that's the way I feel in my spirit right now. God, if you'll just open the door, we will go over. Some of you need to get that in your spirit when you get out of bed on Sunday morning. God, you just give me an opportunity today to worship you. And I'm going to worship you with everything. We don't need to pray to ask God if it's his will for us to evangelize our city. We just need an opportunity. I don't need to pray about worship. I just need an opportunity. I don't need to pray about whether I'm going to church on Sunday. All I need is there to be an opportunity. I would be interested to know how that prayer meeting goes that some of you have. About whether it's the will of God for you to go to church or stay home and watch your sorry football team get beat. I would like to know what God you're praying to that seems to give you the answer that the solution is that you stay home and not come to church when his word says not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together. All I need is an opportunity. Pastor, are the doors open today? That's all I need to know. I'll be there. And while I'm meddling a little bit, let me talk to Living Hope for just a minute. I don't know Wednesday night church when it became an elective.
Now, if you're a guest here today, I, 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 don't, I don't apologize, but let me preach to the congregation, the core for just, pray tell me when did Wednesday night become an elective? That if the kids don't have baseball, and if the kids don't have football, and if the kids don't have basketball, and if the kids don't have too much homework, and if I don't have, if my bunions ain't flaring up, and if, 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 if and then, then I'll come to, let me tell you, our, our Wednesday night crowd is absolutely going down. And Wednesday night is the opportunity to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. I'm not trying to be too harsh today, but I'm telling you all I need is an opportunity. If there's church on Sunday, I'll be there. If there's church on Wednesday, I'll be there. All right. I know this is where we really test the whole pastor relationship. Lord, I know what my purpose is. I know what my destiny is. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I know what your will is for my life. And so, Lord, all I need now is an opportunity. All I need is an open door. Jonathan goes to his armor bearer and says, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be the Lord will work for us. New Living Translation says that Jonathan said, perhaps the Lord will work for us. In other words, maybe he will, and maybe he won't. I don't have any guarantees, armor bearer, but I know two things. Number one, I have one of only two swords in all of Israel, and I know that God can do anything. Amen. I know that I've got one of the, in other words, if somebody is going to bring the, the, the deliverance, it's going to be me. If somebody is going to be the answer, it's going to be me. If somebody is going to be the solution, it's going to be me. If I could put that into language that applies to what we're going through in this room today, I know that if I will do what I can do, God will do what God can do. Here's what I know today. I know that there are people in this room that God is calling you to do some big things. Not, and here's what I didn't say. God is calling you to pray about doing some big things. God is calling you to do some big things. He is calling us to do some big things. Calling you to make some decisions that are going to shape your tomorrows. Decisions that are going to shape your families. Decisions that are going to shape your eternity. Many times we want to pause right there. Well, I need to know if I do this, how is it going to play out? Before I take this step of faith, I want some assurance that it's all going to work out in my favor. Before I pull back on the throttle, I want to make sure this plane is going to fly. Before I risk mutiny and sail on, I want to guarantee that there's a new world on the horizon. Before I step out on the porch of Lincoln's Memorial and share my dream, I want some guarantee that my dream will come true. But all I've got is a perhaps. History books are not the record of people that needed guarantees. They are the record of people that move forward with only a perhaps. We don't talk about people that only move forward when they had a guarantee. But we talk about people that risked it all. I don't know how it's going to all work out. But what I do know is if I will do what I can do, God will do what he can do.
I absolutely have faith. And I believe that my praise activates God to do things that only he can do. I, I know some of you have been deceived by the devil. And you think that praise is just emotionalism. And you think that clapping of hands and dancing and shouting and all of that is a bunch of pr- crazy Pentecostalism. And the devil absolutely has you deceived on your way to a devil's hell. But let me tell you right now uh, that I have absolute faith uh, that my praise uh, is me coming to the end of myself uh, so that God can begin to work uh, in my situation. Uh, let God arise and his enemies be scattered. I wish you'd give God praise right now like you believe that God can do anything. I've just been waiting on an opportunity. Pastor, I was just waiting on you to give us an invitation. Armor bear, I don't know how this is all going to play out. Where, where you at, Andre? Scott, come play the keyboard. I'm over there telling Scott to come on. He's like, what? what are you? I like that delegation. He's like, yeah. Stand with me. Listen, these conversations when destiny is tugging, I want you to close your eyes right now. Because God is absolutely speaking in this building today. Some of you right now, God is calling on you to do some big things. Please don't misinterpret me and come down to this altar and pray. And ask God about whether you're supposed to do some big things. You missed the whole point. I've wasted 42 minutes of your time if you come down to this altar and do that. He says, I don't, I don't know how God's, I don't know what God's going to do. It may be that if we go over to these Philistines, it may be that God shows up and fights on our behalf. I don't know if he will or he won't, but I know God can. And I just know enough about God to know if I do what I can do. God will do what he can do. Listen here, these conversations when destiny is tugging and purpose. Some of you right now, God is leading you to make decisions. Decisions like, I'm going to be faithful to the house of God. Some of you think that's a trivial decision. It's the biggest decision you'll make this year. That went over real well. I said, the biggest decision you will make this year pertains to your faithfulness to the house of God. Some of you think it's whether you'll take that promotion or whether you'll start that business or whether you'll do this, that, and the other. Bigger than all of that is the the investment you make into your eternity. Right now, God is tugging at the hearts of people throughout this building. When destiny and purpose is tugging, conversations that you have are vital they're so important because you can talk to the wrong person some of you thank you for waking up for the conclusion of the preaching you can talk to the wrong person that has a different perspective on perhaps and it will keep you from ever going over to the other side it will take you right back to the pomegranate tree and your shady living if you talk to the wrong people Because if you speak your great words of faith to those that don't look at perhaps the same way you do, when you say perhaps God will, you're speaking faith. But when they look at perhaps, they're saying, what if God doesn't show up? And if you allow those people to get influence in your decision making, 
You will never come to the other side. You will never experience the supernatural. You will never see what happens when you come to the end of yourself and you begin to see the greatness of your God. I want to be that voice today that says to you, let's just suppose that right now we climb up to the enemy and God shows up and gives us a great victory. But you let the wrong person start talking. Church is just a waste of time. That bald-headed preacher don't know what he's talking about. It's 10 to 1, Jonathan. By the way, you've got one of two swords. All I got is Kung Fu. See anything wrong with this plan? If I'm the armor bearer, the armor bearer doesn't say, what if God doesn't show up? Armor bearer doesn't say, hey, you're, there's something wrong with your plan. Of course, you're excited. You've got a sword. I got nothing but my red belt in karate when I was in third grade, and I dropped out because I couldn't make it to practice. What if God doesn't show up? No, the armor bearer says, do whatever's in your heart. He said, I see with eyes of faith like you do. I see with eyes of faith like you do. Let's go over to the other side and let's see what happens when God shows up. Living hope, let's see what happens when we get out of our comfort zone and we reach this city with the gospel. climb the cliffs and they begin to fight and God doesn't show up Trey God doesn't show up it's just Jonathan and his armor bearer and they're fighting and there is no supernatural visitation there is no glory cloud showing up and confusing their enemies God's not even there but they keep fighting and the Bible says the two of them defeated 20 Philistines And then when they had come to the end of what they can do, the Bible says the earth began to shake. The earth began to shake violently. And God began to show up. And the enemy turned on themselves. Listen, God is not going to do for you what you can do for yourself. God, if you pick me up right now and carry me down to the altar, I'll raise my hands and make a commitment. Can I just save you? It ain't going to happen. God is not going to do for you what you can do for yourself. I want to ask everybody in this room right now, God is calling you to do something. God is calling you to make some decisions. God is calling you to take action. Please don't run back under the pomegranate tree and have you a prayer meeting. You need to run to this altar and say, God, I'm going to do what you're calling me to do. I know my purpose. I know my destiny. I just need an opportunity come on I want to ask you to come I believe if you'll come if you will do what you can do God will begin to do what God can do sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without really knowing the exact path it takes to get there To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. So be sure to subscribe and watch us on Facebook Live every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And also visit us at www.livinghopemd.com.